The other thing that makes a design really good is about the experience and emotion. So a good design is, is an emotional experience. Welcome to the What is UX podcast, the show where we interview design leaders about their journey and experience so that you may learn from them. I'm your host, Peck Pompat. Welcome to the What is UX Design podcast. On this episode, we have Harsh Wardhan. He is the design strategist and design thinking leader, formerly design strategist at DeFord, and we're very excited. He recently just got a new job at Google, so we'll be talking about that as well. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Peck, for having me here. I'm super excited to be on the show and, and talking to you. Yeah, thanks for having me here. You're very welcome. People always ask where, you know, how I get these connections. I think I found you on ADP list. We're both the ADP list mentors. And, you know, that's a great, uh, if you're a design, just starting out in your design career, you can find both of us there doing mentor hours, but you can find, I think there's like 3000 design leaders now who are offering that to coach folks who are just getting into design. And this is a Awesome resource, which I never had growing up in the design, you know, maybe 20 years ago. So this is a great tool uh, website to take advantage. So I highly recommend it's ADB list. That's how we met. (laughs) Yeah. So I was saying plus one to that. It's I, I guess it's one of those platforms which I wrote a post about it that I was a, skept, a little bit skeptical in the beginning uh, whether this would work or not, and it really works. People are able to find you. You could find people and get mentored as well. Yeah, yeah. And we recently did a interview with Felix Lee, the, the founder of ADP List, and that was an amazing interview. That was right before he they got funded by Sequoia. So now kudos to them. Uh, they were still bootstrapping, and now now they're growing like crazy. Yeah. You know, we, we'd love to talk about the journey and people getting started in design. How did you get started in design? And what interested you in design? Why, why design thinking? Why, why design? So yeah, um, happy to talk about my journey. So I'm just going to go way back when I was a kid. And um, I am I'm from a small town in the eastern part of India from a state called Bihar. And at that time, I did not know when I was a kid, I did not know there's something design like existed, something like design existed. So I, and as I grew up, if you if i could show you a notebook from those from that era you would find something drawn at the back of the of each notebooks and and when i somebody asked me hey what what do you like to do when you grow up and i was like okay i would i would still like to keep doing this and i did not know what what was that so my first you know first ambition in life was to become a car designer or an automotive designer. And uh, somebody told me that, hey, for, to do that, you have to become an automotive engineer first. Because again, uh, we didn't have ADP list at that time to get mentored and be connected with uh, such wonderful folks uh, from around the world. So that's that's what that was kind of the start. I, I was prepping for that, but but the fact for me was that it was not about just cars. It was about the fact of creating something that that draw that drew me to to the design world. So 
Yeah, so my first interface with uh, design was through architecture. I got into a really good architecture school in India, and that's when I, you know, start started designing buildings and and urban spaces. And 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 while doing architecture, I was, as I said, it was about creating uh, experiences for me rather than just just one thing or one type of thing. I also got into UX design. I'm a self taught UX designer, so. At that point, I just started working with a startup and it was actually UI design and then I later forayed into UX work as well. So that that was the beginning of it. And eventually, I when I realized that because I did not have, at that point, did not have a professional education in UX design and that's the area I wanted to, you know, evolve, I decided to do a master's degree. Interestingly, that was again a pivotal point in my life because while doing the master's degree, I realized I should uh, get into design strategy and design research. And, you know, I did my master's from the school called IIT Institute of Design based out of Chicago. And the school is teaches exactly that, design strategy, design research from a lot of different focus areas like product design, UX design, and um, service design. And it is a school that teaches the fundamentals about design thinking and as a, as a problem-solving technique. So that's that's where I picked up you know, design thinking from, and that's what I have been doing for for the past four or five years. Yeah, it's a great school. I remember when I before I moved to the Bay Area, they, they I had given a few guest lecture talks as I was a practicing designer. They had invited me to give give some guest lectures. And that's that's also was another reason why I reached out is I saw your Chicago Illinois connections like oh we're, I'm in Chicago I wasn't sure if you still were in Chicago you've reached your how did it feel to you know you you had an early passion for cars and then you ended up at Ford doing design what did that feel like yeah it was oh my God I would say it was a dream come true a dream that I never thought. Uh, would happen once I got into architecture. Not that I did not like architecture. I loved it so much. But then you could, like, when you develop a career in one path, it's really difficult to pivot. So when I became an architect, I didn't think I would be able to, you know, get into anything related to cars. So it was a dream come true for me to work at Ford Motor Company, specifically D Ford, because it's it's in the cutting edge of design and innovation or design-led innovation. I should say. So it felt really good. And I guess in my past two years at D Ford, I got to be a part of some really interesting future strategy projects as well. So I guess I'm I'm fulfilled in that. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a great intersection between your two pa- your your skill set and then your passion. And you're not the first uh, architect uh, who turned into UX or product design on our podcast. There's been it seems like a pretty somewhat common theme where they they like design, you know, you you come but you come from an architecture background uh, and then realize oh where where I'm really passionate about is is product design. So it's it's not an uncommon path the more I dig into it. <laughs> yeah, I mean I I think it's so when when somebody from architecture decides to move into UX design or uh, any other kind of design, I think it's fairly easy to do that from my experience and my knowledge. It's fairly easy to do that than from other fields because you, uh, tools-wise, you already know so many tools. Uh, we used to use Adobe Suite as an architect as well. We had grasp on some you know 3D design and 
and some 2D design stuff as well. But the more fundamental part about it is about designing experiences. So I guess an architect works at a at a macro level and and then also dives into details when they are working on buildings and spaces. And that uh, really helps in any other design field because you, you are able to see the big picture as well as, you know, do the pixel tweaking when needed. Yeah. I never really thought about translating architecture work to, to software design work, but I think it translates really well, right? You're, you're designing within spaces and constraints, you know, if architecture, there's actual real world physical constraints in software design. I mean, you have the screen constraints, uh, you're trying to create an experience, whether it's online or offline, I'm sure there's convention standards and patterns. So likewise, I think in software, there's standards and patterns and, and yeah. what and affordances. Yeah. Yeah, so I can see that <laughs> it's, it translates pretty well. And if anything, it might be easier transition because now you go from 3D to 2D. This yeah. is one less dimension to, to think about. Yeah. Uh, that, and one, yeah. One thing that I kept doing in the beginning of my UX career was because I had gone from 3D to true 2D, I was a huge fan of skeuomorphism. So I, I would... <laughs> I would Re- really like to make 3D stuff, 3D uh, interfaces, 3D designs of my UX wireframes, and it didn't turn out so well, did it? <laughs> <laughs> well, there there was a time for skeuomorphism, and uh, you know I, I was a big fan of it then too. I really liked kind of like the real world look of things, so I, I also enjoyed skeuomorphism. But I also dabbled in creating 3D interfaces. You know, so I I prototyped some some 3D desktop ideas. So being able to treat your desktop like more 3D, you know, Windows today, you can stack them on each other, but they, you know, they're, they're not like really 3D. So mm-hmm. I, I prototyped maybe some, some 3D concepts, the idea of maybe even putting, like having that third dimension that's sort of the floor of your desktop. Like if your desktop was sort of like a box, a screen, and you could put put some stuff kind of the, on the floor of your desktop, put some sticky notes on the sides and stuff like that. And being able to maybe even use the camera. So like, if you look like left and right, you can see more of it. So prototype some of those ideas. Yeah, I can link it to them in in the show notes or something. But yeah, that's super interesting. Actually, you reminded me of a concept that one of the really famous design uh, firms in Silicon Valley was working on back in the 90s. And long before, I guess, e-commerce became so so common, they were trying to make online shops. And for that, they had created a 3D world where you could walk and get into the shops, go to the counter, see the different things and purchase it. I I don't know if it became a reality, but it's very similar, you know, translating what we experience in the 3D world into, into 2D. I think we have come a long way. Yeah. Speaking of the intersection of architecture and and software design, I I know of a company where they use 3D and virtual reality to test the layout of shopping uh, aisles and they mock it up and they, you know, like the, especially the, the ends of the aisles, there's a special term for those and then the advertising on the aisles. And what they do is, you know, rather than trying to, you know, it's expensive to test it in the real world, print it out and, and test it yeah. in the real world. So what they do is they mock it up, it's all digital. And then there's like a virtual, virtual reality, kind of like a environment. And they put, you know, have people try it on headsets 
and then have people comment and, and get feedback on on the aisle design and the, the you know the 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 brands you know they they have their mockups and and their their whatever their displays and and that's their business is is to mock it up and get that data and see how, you know before it goes out it's sort of testing yeah and you know it works pretty well because i have done something like that in my uh, career as well yeah. so right in the intersection of my architecture career and my ux design career when i was you know running my studio back in india there was this interior design project that i was working on and i had figured out that using one of the softwares i could render it render a 360 version of the whole uh, setup that i had made so that was pretty cool to me and on the other side i was experimenting with trying to create a concept of a platform uh, for example instagram for 360 views mm. so so i know I, we could upload 360 on facebook now but it was before that so i was i was experimenting experimenting there so i used a lot of those headset uh, where you could slide your phone in and and see in 360 so and that was the cross section for me because i was rendering in 360 watching it in 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 my concept that i was creating and i tested it with a couple of customers it worked really really well <laughs> you you mentioned the studio that you had so you had your own studio in india yeah i had a design studio um i never formalized it as a company because we were two people working on separate projects but we called it teapot studio and basically we were trying to do everything we wanted to do architecture we wanted to do brand design we wanted to do you know at one time i was trying to design t-shirts and sell it online <laughs> so basically you know that idea of creating something has always stuck with me and i always feel that if if there is a really good designer if you think you're a really good designer you could you know it's just the barrier of tools that would stop you from designing a great experience in any domain but otherwise you could always cross uh, cross lines and and do great things in different domains so that's my belief and that's why i was i was doing so many things <laughs> i did do a brand design for for this company back in my city i did a couple of architecture projects along with my partner and on the side i was also taking ux projects individually to to do them so So what uh, what were some of the learnings of starting your own design firm, you know, for people who are thinking of starting their own design firm especially kind of on a small scale like this? So yeah, my biggest learning is that yes, it was understandable that one would like to do everything. You have to find your niche. You have to find your expertise because that's what you will get paid for. And you know, this there is this concept of Uh, ikigai that i really love one of my friend and mentors introduced me to it it's it's basically a venn diagram of what you love um what you are good at doing what the world needs and what you can be paid for and if you love everything it becomes really difficult to fill those other other you know circles in the diagram so finding your niche is the biggest learning that i would like to share with everybody yeah it took me a long time Uh, as an agency founder owner you know in the beginning you just to pay the bills you try to do everything right you say yes to everything and it was um it was never i never found a really good argument for niching down people always say you know there's a saying that riches are in the niches or the riches are in the niches but the one way that somebody explained it to me that really stuck 
was this restaurant analogy. And by that, I mean, when you go to a restaurant, do you ever pick a restaurant? Which restaurant would you go to if you were hungry for sushi, right? The, yeah. the restaurant that does sushi, Chinese food, Italian food, and Thai food, and Indian food, or do you just go to a pure sushi restaurant? Exactly. That's, I, oh, my God. That's a really good example. I'm going to use that. <laughs> I'll give you <laughs> it, credit, but I'm going to use that. Because, you know, a lot of big, the bigger companies, they, they do everything, right? But then it's like, yeah, you're, you're a jack of all trades. You're good at nothing. Right? Yeah. Versus, you know, like, you know, oh, IDEO, great at this, or... Like Impeccable, uh, the firm I founded, we're really good at enterprise B2B SaaS. So if you have an enterprise B2B SaaS and you have a new product or you're trying to revamp a new product, that's a great sweet spot for us. So we don't do consumer tech so much. So if you are an Instagram, you might want to work with another firm. But you mm-hmm. know, if you're Cisco, Palo Alto Networks, maybe Google's enterprise side, you know, that's that's the niche. Yeah, but having a niche that you, you proclaim that that's what I'm really good at, that's my superpower, you know, because a lot of people, right, branding, people stand for one thing, right? McDonald's, hamburgers, Dunkin' Donuts, donuts, yeah. Starbucks, coffee. If Starbucks started to do running shoes, it'd be like, wait, what? <laughs> right? Yeah, sometimes they would do something like uh, a collab if they wanted to get into running shoes, Nike, Air Jordans, Starbucks edition or something like that. But but that's a more of a collab and, but, you know, leveraging some other niche brand. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So thanks for that. Yeah. The the niche uh, discussion, I think is a, is a really good one. Dissect for me how you got into Ford. I think you came from like a sort of a FinTech company before that. Uh, Enabler, right? So Enabler was a project when I was still in school. It was a three-month uh, innovation project that I worked for. And, you know, at IIT Institute of Design is a school where you get to work on a lot of industry projects, real-world projects, if you mm-hmm. if you find the right opportunity. And I got to work in, at, at the same time, I got to work in healthcare. I got to work in like fintech. I got to work on some 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 other industrial projects in, in different other industries. For example, Convene, which is a, which is a workplace a company like WeWork. So my journey to Ford, I would say started in the first year of my school. And I had no idea that Ford had this innovation lab out in Palo Alto called Greenfield Labs. And um, in my first career event, I guess we were looking for internships. They they came to do a presentation. And that's, I think that's where uh, my journey to Ford started because I, I just... I was just, uh, you know, stoked by the idea of working for Ford. It was something that I was dreaming of doing back in, you know, 10 years ago when I was wanted to be a car designer. And for Ford, it was not about, you know, designing cars for me. It was about the idea of working for a 100-year-old company who have produced some of the most iconic cars like Ford Mustang. And I was a huge fan. So I kept in touch with them for uh, the next two years through different means, you know, networking. And they came one year later and then they had a UX designer position. But at that point, I had already shifted to design strategy. So I, I couldn't get in that that time. And then they came back a year later when they were forming D4 at that point of time. And it was a design-led innovation organization in the company. 
So at that point, I was a perfect fit for, for a role like that. And it was a perfect role for me because, you know, my passion for mobility, my passion for innovation and, and the kind of work that I wanted to do. And meanwhile, I guess in my two years at ID, I, I went back to taking projects which would have to do something with automotive. So at the end of two years, I could make a case for them. So it was a long preparation and, and, and not just an, one interview because I, I believe that by the time I interviewed my like I interviewed with them in my final final career event, I did not did not have to show my portfolio because they already knew me. They 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 had seen my work. One takeaway from from that that I hear, especially I think as advice for young uh, designers getting into the career, is you know a lot of times maybe somebody like they just graduated with a degree or a boot camp and they immediately want that job. And they apply, 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 but there's, you know, it's not, you, you don't get your dream job right away. But uh, for me, it's about planting seeds, creating relationships, right? Like you, you created a relationship. It was two years in the making. You didn't, you didn't graduate and get a job at Ford. You, you planted seeds, you get to know people, but you also kept in touch with them. So they had data points of, oh, this guy's been, what, what's, what has he been up to? And you managed to get some design experience along the way so that when the timing was right, uh, you were prepared. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the other takeaway that I would like to uh, talk about is also letting people know about you, like make real connections, make, you know, make them know your story, understand what where they are coming from. I think that leads a long way. For me, all my friends and, and my professors I had really good relationships with, even the dean of the school, they knew I was passionate about food. They had seen my work. So I guess behind my back, I guess there were people telling these recruiters, hey, you should talk to Hirsch. (laughs) I I remember them telling me that a friend of yours just told told us that you should should, uh, be talking to us. Right. So basically put it out there in the universe, right? You want something, let it be known. Don't, don't hide it. You know, talking about a long-term, like plant the seeds, you know, my, my same journey. I had known someone for a while and I've been wanting to, she's a great designer. Uh, I've been wor- wanting to work with her for a while. She's, you know, jumped to many great companies, but finally, I think after seven years of just knowing this person, it was a great opportunity where she's now at a position at a really nice company we'd love to work with. And she's like, oh, you know, having seen the journey of Impeccable, she had multiple data points of like, oh, we work with this company, this company, this company. And and finally now we're working with, it sounds like potentially we're working with her. So uh, again, you know, this is, it's relationships, putting it out there, planting seeds. Yeah. And you, you did some work for UIC, which is where I came from. I, I studied at UIC. So that I saw when I saw that, I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. <laughs> Yeah, that that was a research project and my first time interfacing in the healthcare industry. And it was with one of ex-professors of IITID, Kim Marvin. She's she's just amazing. She's written a book, Communicating the New, and she's also my mentor now. But at that point, I had heard so much about Kim and I it was not the project or the healthcare industry. It was, I guess, her persona that draw, uh, that drew me to that that work. But oh my God, I learned so much. I believe that all designers at least should take a, a project with within healthcare industry. It 
it teaches you so much about uh, the importance of being right being right so being right not in an arrogant way but in a in a very informed way so for example when we were doing work at UIC if we had to make a point of view we had to back it up with so many different papers like papers research that has been done by others what that helped me realize is that i should do that in all my designs and and more intentionally it doesn't matter what you're doing so yeah it was a really good experience <laughs> yeah i i remember kind of earlier in my design career i would borrow a lot of patterns from established software and apps you know and back then you know maybe the big big products were you know products like facebook this is the web right amazon ebay you know when people when i was asked to justify something it was like well you know these are common patterns used by some of the most you know the biggest you know web properties so it's a good stab right to 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 defend your design i'd like to get you know now that we're kind of maybe a half a bit over halfway i'd love to kind of get into the meat of maybe selfishly what what you learned and maybe if you could teach us something you know what would the work what was the work like at dford you know what what did you do and what were some of the insights and and teach us something so for those who don't work in design in the automotive industry what are some of the insights yeah absolutely i would love to share that so yeah my my journey at ford and even before that when i came into the design thinking industry I think that journey has made me a very very humble designer now and that happened even more at Ford or D Ford because my biggest learning is that when you work with people you have to understand them and build relationships with them in order to get work done and in order to make the best impact that you can because you are working in teams and collaboratively trying to make an impact now that might seem like a very uh, simple thing to say or something that that everybody says but for me i think and i have heard it from some of my peers that as a young designer we tend to be a little bit arrogant about our designs we create this thing we get to attach to it but in the real world you have to you know work with people and and that's how you make an impact and that was my biggest learning and related to that communication so as as a as a part of my work i had to work with you know engineers who have been working uh, at ford for a long time i had to work with marketers i have had to work with you know strategists business leaders leaders and it was a lot of stakeholder management when i was leading projects so sometimes we try to push our ideas but but again it it comes back to understanding them and i think and this is a big part of design thinking as well that one must begin with understanding their stakeholders and developing a relationships there uh, relationship there and i didn't start i didn't immediately start by doing that and i learned it the hard way there was this project that that i was doing in my first few months at ford and that project we did really good work we did we made some really great concepts based on some great research work that the team did and the project didn't land and in contrast to that when i was doing one of my last projects at ford Uh, i'd learned my lesson so i started by understanding the stakeholders and de- developing a relationship 
And at this time, I believe some there were some concepts which were similar to what we had put out and the, on, on similar learnings. But this time they really landed because we understood our stakeholders. We, we knew what they wanted. And we went a step ahead in telling the story in a way that, that helps them. So, and, and we also do, did a really good job in communicating with them throughout the project. So they didn't feel it they, they didn't feel that they were not a part of it. So so again, it's a team thing, it's a collaborative thing, specially designed to sum it up. I, I think that's something that I'll always do now. Yeah, I, I agree. When you're a young designer, you know, the, the technical, the hard skills matter, right? And and doing a good job with your work in terms of uh, that's like table stakes, right? Having great designs great user flows, great wireframes. And then as you grow into your career or as uh, you join uh, bigger and bigger companies, the number of the different, what matters starts to matter more are communication skills, collaboration skills, managing stakeholders, being able to talk to different types of people. You know, if you only work with designers, you speak design, you speak typography and line spacing, color theory, whatever. You know, a, a business stakeholder, an executive won't won't talk like that, or nor would they care. So, learning to adjust your communication to different stakeholders—you know, talking, speaking up to an executive, speaking to your project manager, speaking to engineers, and what they care about—are are skills that. And the the bigger the organization, the more people you have to convince or or recruit yeah. to your to your design and that's that's something that you know we, i i myself have also learned i'm not saying i'm great at it but i recognize that as as our agency grows and as we work with bigger and bigger establishments that that's the skills that our designers have had and and not just designers everyone anybody who works at a, on a project needs needs to start to develop yeah and i think it's I think now it is becoming more uh, important for all types of designers and on and all their career timeframes. You know that it's it, it's important for them to understand that it is a part of our job as designers to translate our design into languages that people or the stakeholders can understand. We cannot just present the shiny object and say, "Hey, here you go. This is the solution." You have to go a step further and translate it, what that solution means for the stakeholders, what that means for the business, what that means for the company. Where, where can we see some of your work from, from Ford? Where were you and your team's work? What, what products did you work on specifically? So I guess we'll have to wait till 2025 to see. Oh, really? <laughs> some of them coming into fruition and for some of them till 2030. <laughs> That's the... That's the thing about automotive industry. The even for the pro like vehicle programs, it takes around you know three to five years, depending on whether it is a new product or it is a, a mid-cycle update. For the works that I did, I was working on future strategy works, and you know it's it's deforward works in in the fuzzy front end, and it's more of a discovery work. It's more of a, a future strategy work. Thank you for that insight. It's it's always great to hear about this type of stuff because, you know, not knowing, I think it's great insight and information for young designers who get in, right? Like what type of, like if they're a bit more 
intentional, maybe slow moving. This is great. You know, if they like a faster pace, maybe joining a consumer or B2B, you know, sub pure software startup where they can design something, launch it, get yeah. data, iterate, and, you know, maybe you have three versions by the end of the day and AB test all those. Whereas, you know, we uh, I spoke to someone in healthcare, same thing, right? You, you can't, for something that needs FDA approval, you can't iterate, you know, you have to like, if you change it, you have to do research, you have to make sure it doesn't kill people or hurt people or harm people, it takes years to get through yeah. FDA approval. And you can just, and once that is approved, you can't just go change that. You have to, if you want to make a change, it has to go through that same approval process and it could take yeah. years. So they've learned how to work, work around that. So I think uh, talking to different folks uh, like yourselves gives me great insight and other designers, hopefully, of like, you know, how, going into something that they would like, right? And uh, see what, if this is, if they can wait for their work to come out in years, uh, maybe yeah. this is for them because the passion for cars or, or the industry. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that's, I, I believe that for me, it was important to see that. And I guess it was the process of making me even more humble. <laughs> I'm trying to be, I'm trying to learn from all these things. But I believe that it's important for a designer when they're growing in their career to try try out different things, like different timelines, like, like, you're, like you're saying, uh, try out a slower, slower field of work or, and then go to a faster pace environment as well. Because, you know, it's, Unless you are experimenting, you wouldn't know what where, where you fare the best. Yeah, yeah, and and hopefully something you know an interview like this also gives you insight. And like, oh, do you, would you like this? Would you like that? Maybe I'd like to ask you some about something about some of the mentorship you give. What are some of the common uh, questions people ask you when they ask uh, get mentorship from you? And what is your general advice? Yeah, one of the most common questions that I get asked is about the transition. Like, because my career, if you look at my profile, you'll see there are many transitions that I did, that I also talked about in this podcast, from an architect to a UX designer to becoming a design strategist. That's the most common question. And what I see usually people struggle with, whether it is about transition or whether it is about job finding, is storytelling. And so storytelling is not only about something that you worked on. It's about yourself, the biggest thing that you have worked on for, for decades. So, and I learned it pretty much when I came to United States, when I came to ID, how important it is to have a story uh, about yourself. I would urge everybody listening to this, all the young designers, if you have not thought about it, give it a very hard thought. Who are you? And then only once once you know that, I guess uh, you'll be able to tell that story. Now, where can you tell that story? We have a lot of different platforms. I use LinkedIn a lot to, to tell my story. And usually I see people who struggle in this domain wouldn't have those presence, those online presence. It's an online world, world so you have to put yourself out there. Great. Yeah, it, storytelling is is very important. I, I as I'm becoming, you know, trying to become a better leader, the importance of of having being able to tell a good story, right? People, humans are storytellers and story consumers. That's why movies are a big industry. I think 
you know, from the caveman days, people pass on knowledge through stories because people remember stories better than just pure facts. <laughs> and yeah. uh, so having a compelling story that's easy to remember, I think, is, is very important as you become a leader or even just trying to get a job. So yeah. having an interesting fact, you know, that's easy, sort of a hook, for example, you know, in a sea of other designers or other entrepreneurs, <laughs> my funny example is like for, for whatever reason, people seem to remember the fact that I, you know, do the moves for the Mortal Kombat video games. That's like the one hook, yeah. right? People like it's a big deal apparently. And so, so I try to incorporate, you know, in my introductions, you know, fun fact about me or something. And to this day, some people, they might not even remember my name. They might not remember, you know, the company or the service I provide, but it's like, oh, he's the Mortal Kombat moves guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, and that's, that's like true. the hook. Well, if that's what it takes for people to remember me, then great. <laughs> yeah, you know, like when you told me about that, I told all my friends about it. <laughs> exactly. My point is made. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's it's the one unique fact, right? In this, like you, you probably meet a lot of designers. You probably meet a lot of tech. It's like, oh God, dear, another designer, right? But hey, this guy's a little different, right? There's yeah, this, and, this, and to that point, I would say it's also about like, you you might have tried that, right? You might have tried telling that story about yourself and you saw what stuck. So I guess a story, your story about yourself is not a written thing, a, a, a thing written in stone. It's something that, that you can keep iterating on uh, just like a good design. Yeah, exactly. Keep, keep, try different stories and see what sticks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But don't lie. <laughs> but don't lie. Yeah, yeah. At least have some nugget of truth. Yeah. I mean, truth be told, I haven't done the Mortal Kombat stuff in over 10 years. You know, it's 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 it was a part of me and my story. I used to be a very serious martial artist, you know, but now I try to focus on my career, <laughs> try to get serious about my career. And so one thing that we always try to ask our, our guests on the show who are great designers, whom I respect is what is good design to you? That's a really great question, and it's something that I have been thinking about a lot. And, you know, this is also a question that comes across in so many interviews, right? <laughs> so for me, I believe the, the good design is something that is used. And it is a quote that I read somewhere, and it took me a long time to understand what it meant. If there is a product that is designed or if there is a service that is designed or anything for that matter, a building, a space, um, you would understand if there are no users around it or nobody using it, that it is not working because it's a bad design. The other thing that makes a design really good is about the experience and emotion. So a good design is, is an emotional experience, something that evokes an emotional in, in the user, in the people. And what happens is that people don't, like we were talking in the storytelling part of the, of the interview, like we were talking about the storytelling part in the podcast, people don't remember your titles. People don't remember where, what you do. They remember, they remember the hooks. Uh, they remember because it triggered an emotional response in them. That's what people remember. So if you are able to do that with your design, and it could be any design. It could be it could be a car, uh, which looks really good. So it triggered an emotion, excitement or attraction. That could be a good design in terms of aesthetics. If you are 
using a phone, for example, and, and you really don't um, see any flaws in it, you use it seamlessly, it, 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 it is an emotion about getting work done swiftly, maybe. That is, uh, and that relates to something like invisible design because you know that thing will get your work done. So that's a good design. So we, as, as designers, we have to think about the emotional aspect of it and, uh, and the experience that we are giving to our users right before this using our, our, some, our product that we have designed to the end of it. Not only end of it, actually extension of it. So there's a popular framework that I really love that I learned at ID, the experience design framework, which is basically how do you entice someone to use something? How do you, how do they enter the experience? How what is the experience itself? How do you uh, exit that experience? And how do you extend that experience? And if you think about all of these things in your product, and if you think about the emotions that you are triggering through these things. I think that's how you get to a good design. Oh, thank you for that. When you talked about what the, the definition of good design is, what is used, it triggered a memory of there's this really good photo when you Google you know, UX design and it's uh, of a grassy field with like maybe a, a concrete or a paved pathway and you see okay. the paved pathway, but you also see uh, like a dirt, like a natural dirt road in the grass. Yes. where people have designed the pathway, but nobody actually uses it. And people just cut across. And then there's this like patch of, you know, dead grass where it's sort of a natural, like people, instead of walking around something, they just cut right through. And that's the UX. That's the real UX. People are not using what was designed, but they're using, they created a net, net you know, just cutting right through the grass. And that's, that's really what's being used. But the, the emotion part, though, th- this is a good nugget, right? The, the poet Maya Angelou says that her, there's a great quote of, like, people don't remember what you said, but they remember how you made them feel. Yes. Yes, that's I, I, exactly that. Actually, I didn't remember who said that, so thanks for quoting him. That's exactly it. That's exactly with your designs as well. Yeah. I, I guess people don't realize or appreciate the design unless they're annoyed. <laughs> right. Uh, good design sometimes is so good that it's like, it's almost uh, it's invisible. So you don't, you, it gets the job done. You don't feel negative emotions. Yeah. Yes. But, but people do remember bad design in the same yeah. way people remember bad in, uh, project managers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, that reminds me. Um, I would also like to recommend all those people who are listening uh, a really amazing video by, I guess it's Vox Media around Norman Doors. It's basically a video on Don Norman's idea of, of the book that he wrote, Design of Everyday Things. And he shows this, cites this example of a door, which is designed in a way that people think that it should be pushed. And the I, I guess it's pushed or pulled, but it's the opposite way. And people just hate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, There's a great far side comic around that that very idea. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, Harsh, thank you so much. Uh, we've learned uh, so much from you. If we want to get in touch, Harsh is available on ADP lists, and I will link to that. And uh, congratulations on your new, you're starting a job at Google. Thank you so much. I am so much looking forward to it. Yeah, Google has, is, is one of the companies, really aspirational companies that I have been wanting to work at. So yeah, another <laughs> another dream come true. Yeah. 
And then, you know, we'll give you some time to settle into Google. And then at some point, we will ask you to come back and interview you about your experience at Google. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And if anyone uh, listening to this podcast would love to be interviewed, yeah, just, just message us. And as always, uh, if you enjoy this podcast, uh, please leave us a review. Uh, we really appreciate the feedback and helps with the growth. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this episode of What is UX? If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you leave us a review, I'll make sure to shout it out on the show. If you have any questions, send them to questions at whatisux.co and our guest and I will try to answer them on the show. And you can always find us on whatisux.co. See you on the next one.